we're going to talk about today is something that I believe that uh, if you understand these truths and get hold of these truths and live by these truths, they will not only change and transform your life, they will change your future, they will change your kids' future, and could even change your grandkids' future. Uh, the, the principles are simple, but they're so hard to actually adapt and apply to our life. And uh, once we start talking about it, you'll, you'll understand why. But I've loved this series because uh, we, we've asked a question each week. Um, and I feel that we may even have more questions and answers at the end. And that's not a bad thing because it, it pushes us to understand God more and, and, and try to find out and figure out what God wants for our life um, even more. And I think today may be even the same for you. But when we started Generation Church, before we had had any public service, uh, before we had even like filed ourselves as a nonprofit, uh, there was a small little team that we got together and we decided there were two things that we didn't want to do in our services at Generation Church. The first thing was this, is we didn't want during the service to have like a five to ten meet and greet moment during the service where like we pause the service and everybody meets and greets for like five minutes and hugs each other and you know and then chats and everything like that Uh, because while that would be great for the extroverts amongst us, uh, the introverts would be like going crazy and like it will be the worst 10 minutes of their week and so we decided not to to do that the other thing that we decided not to do um, was not to take an offering during the service. Instead, to have uh, like a, a basket or uh, a bucket at the back where we could uh, put our tithes and offerings in uh, or we can go online, but not to have something during the service. Um, and the reason for that is because before we started the church, uh, we did a lot of surveying and asking a lot of different people who did not go to church, why do you not go to church? And the overriding theme of it was this, the church just wants my money. And that's what they started saying. The church wants my money. And it's like, that's all they care about is my money. And so we decided that we didn't want uh, you to come in and feel that we were all about your money um, at all. Uh, And there is a stigma today with churches and money. People think that pastors and churches just want their money. That's all they care about. Well, we strive not to be that church. Because I honestly believe that when we do church in a biblical New Testament way, there should never be a need to ask for extra. Uh, there, there, I mean, there may be one or two times if you're like new, building a new building or something like that where you actually need extra. But this is what I mean. You go into a lot of churches and this was the problem with people uh, that they were finding all they wanted, all they would hear at church is that the church needs to do another offering because we need a new roof or we need a new sound system or, or we need to fund the kids going on their kids camp or, or the youth going on their retreat or, 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 or we need new carpet or, you know, the pastor needs a new car and different stuff. And so they, they, they were saying that whenever we go to church, there's always an offering for something. And I honestly believe that if we became a New Testament biblical church, then we are full of people who are already givers and some of us who are even generous givers that we do not have to come and then beg and ask for money uh, anymore. And, and we've been tried to be like that throughout Generation Church. Even this week we had a piece of the sound system that broke and we don't need another offering for it because we have managed what, what God has given us in a way that we can take care of that stuff. But this is the problem. 
We live in a culture that for every dollar that they earn, the majority of people spend a dollar twenty-five. So for every dollar that you earn, the majority of people are taking that dollar and they're adding 25% on it and, 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 and spending that. And the problem with that is eventually we're going to get ourselves into trouble where debt is drowning. People are drowning in debt and they're in financial crisis. They're at a place where even if a pastor talks about giving, they feel the pinch and they don't want to hear about it because they cannot afford to, to give. Even this past week, I was talking to somebody uh, that, that I work with, and uh, she was telling me that her daughter last Christmas wanted uh, a, an Apple uh, iMac for, for Christmas. And so uh, she said, well, I'm not going to spend that much on you at Christmas, but I'll give you so much, and then the other you have to pay yourself. And she said, but, but her daughter did not have enough money. So she said, so I fronted the, her the money with the agreement that she would pay back. And she said, and this week she came to me, and this is a 13-year-old girl, came to her daughter and she says, mom, we need to refinance. That's what she said. And so her mother refinanced like her loan for her Apple computer. And this is the problem. Often we're teaching our kids and we're teaching uh, 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 our grandkids that it's okay to borrow more than what you earn. It's okay to spend more than what you earn. But I believe if we just look at what the Bible has to say about money and about possessions and about giving and about all that you have, if we look at what the Bible says, we will realize that the Bible is very relevant for today. Many people think the Bible is not relevant, but if you just take all the scriptures that talk about money and possessions and you put them into a book, you will find that if we did that and we sold it on Amazon, I guarantee it would become a bestseller in a week. And this is why, because so many people are drowning in debt. So many people do not have a clue of how to deal with their possessions and their finances and their money, that they get to a place where they just need help. And the Bible is a great place to start. See, so many people reject what the Bible has to say about money because they think churches and preachers are all about their money. Now, I am in a unique position this morning. A lot of pastors aren't in the unique position that I'm in. And this is the unique position I'm in. You guys don't pay my salary. I actually earn my income outside of the church. And so all the money that comes in the church doesn't pay to feed my kids or to to pay my mortgage or pay my car. And so the good thing about that is this, is that I can just be totally straight with you about what the Bible says about money without there ever being a thought that Alex just wants your money. Because that isn't the case and that is not what we want. But I do want to talk to you today about giving and about possessions and a little bit about money so that you can understand what the Bible actually says about it. And I want you to know that this isn't going to fund Alex's next car. You know, this isn't going to get, I'm not going to drive off in a convertible next week if, if giving goes up. Because... You do not pay my salary. So I'm in a unique position to do that. So this morning we're going to talk about what is the point of giving. Let's be honest. Why would you give your hard-earned money to a church? When half the time all the church is going to use that money for is to pay someone's salary, is to maybe pay an electric bill, or put a few extra lights in a sanctuary. Because really a lot of churches, that's all they're using the money for. So why give? 
Why give my hard-earned cash? And so today, I want to talk to you about why it is important to give, why it is vital to give in your life, and how giving will change your life completely. And if you are one of those people, and there are people in churches all over America who are asking the same question, why should I give any more when they're just going to spend it on something that's not even going to have any difference in this community at all? If you're one of those people asking those questions, and this is what I would say to you, to, to you today, you may not have grasped what the Bible actually says about money, says about possessions, and says about giving. That you may not entirely understand what, 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 what God says to you and who you are and what your identity is in God. And I believe if you get right what we're going to talk about today, then it's not just going to change your life completely, but it's going to revolutionize your faith in all areas of your life, will uh, will be blessed and will be increased, and you will find incredible blessings all over your life. When you start to live what we're going to talk about today, you will break free of being a slave to this world and what every commercial on TV tells you that you need to buy. You will not be a slave to that anymore. So a couple of weeks, I had a lady that came to me, she does not come to our church. She goes to a Catholic church from time to time. Um, her name is Carol. And Carol came to me and she says, Alex, I need to talk to you. I says, okay, what's up, Carol? She says, I need to talk to you about tithing. I was like, okay. What, 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 what do you need to talk to me about? She said this. She says, so I, I, just, I just heard or I got told by the priest at our church that I need to tithe. That he will not be pleased with me and God will not be pleased with me if I don't tithe it. So talk to me about tithing. I, so I asked her, I says, do you know anything about tithing at all? She goes, all I know, it's like you give like, what, 10, 10% of your income to the church? I was like, yeah. So, so I started to explain to her what tithing was. And tithing is an Old Testament principle that they would come and bring 10% of what, uh, of what they had to the temple. So the temple could do what the temple does, and that's make sacrifices and worship God. And oftentimes people would bring cops and and maybe animals and different things because they didn't have like cash or or, or you know or, or credit card or checks or anything like that. So they would bring what they had, and uh, and it was a way of honoring God. Uh, and then the, the New Testament talks a lot about giving, and, and, and some people argue, well, tithing is an Old Testament thing. It's not a New Testament thing. I, I don't necessarily agree with that. I believe in the principle of tithing, but I believe we're in grace, and so if we're in grace, then tithing is minimum, I, I believe. But, but anyway, so I started telling her about this, and so I looked at her, and I says, Carol, I said, be honest with me. She goes, I says, you can't afford to tithe, can you? She said, no. She says, if I gave 10% of my income to the church, she says, I don't know if I could pay my bills. She says, I don't know if I would be able to have enough food. She says, I I don't think I'd be able to make it. She says, I would just drown more and more in debt. I says, yeah, exactly. I said, tithing is not the issue. I said, this is the issue. I said, you see yourself as an owner of all that you have when God sees you as a manager of what you have. 
And so I started to explain to her what the Bible talks about, that she is, she is not an owner of what she has, that God has given her so many great and wonderful gifts, and she has these gifts for God to use, but she is treating them like she owns them, and she is holding them tight, and she is not treating them in the way that God has given her for those things to be used, and that is as a manager. See, this lady had no idea about what God says about money, Her reference point was what a priest said to her that she had to give to the church. And and this woman, she couldn't afford to give 10% of her income to the church. For she lives paycheck to paycheck, and she, she, her life is a result of 50 years of her life living with the mentality of all that I have, I own, and I can do with as I please. And so, to show you what, what the Bible says about this morning, uh, and there's so many scriptures about money and possessions, and we're not going to go through them all. Actually, we're going to go through very few of them this morning. But I want to start at the very beginning of the Bible, so we can understand exactly what our identity is when it comes to God. And it starts with the story of Adam and Eve. I find it amazing of how many principles of faith, how many principles of this life start with two people, Adam and Eve. It's like they got one thing wrong and everything became wrong. And so this is what happened. God created the earth, the Bible says in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. He separated night from day. He created uh, the seas and the land. He created the mountains and the trees. He created the animals, the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky. And he looked around and he was like, hmm, it looks good, but something's missing. Like for those of you who cook, you know your cooking is like, I know I've got the ingredients right, but something is missing. Maybe it's a little extra salt, maybe it's some spices, or you know, some maybe it's some herbs. I don't know. But this is what God says. And then God says, I know, I'm gonna make man in my image. And so he made man, and God says he looked at what he created and saw that it was good. And so God created man. Well, God had a plan for man. God didn't just create man so God, so man could just walk around and, you know, just do whatever he wanted to do. God had a purpose and a plan for man. And this is what we find here in Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. It said, Then the Lord planted a garden in the east, and there he placed man in the middle of it that he had made. So God created a garden. Now, when we talk about garden, we're not talking about just a little like uh, uh, fruits and vegetables. We're not talking about a few carrots and, uh, you know, a few pieces of broccoli and, uh, uh, you know, some asparagus. We're talking about God says garden. When God says garden, it means paradise. I mean, Bora Bora, eat your heart out. This place was the most amazing place in the world. It had everything that you can imagine. It was full of every good thing, every good fruit, every good vegetable. Man had uh, all that he could think of in this garden. And the Bible says that God placed man in the garden. Now, notice it didn't say this, that God gave the garden to Adam. Now, Adam owned the garden. The garden was still God's. It was God's garden. And he placed Adam in the garden. And then Genesis 2 verses 15 to 17 tells us, The Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, You may eat freely 
of the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good uh, and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. So now man has been placed in the garden. Now God has given him a role. And his role is this, to tend and watch over the garden. So he's not saying you now own the garden. He's just saying, Adam, I want you to tend and watch over the garden. Basically, I want you to manage the garden. I want you to be a manager. As a result, you can eat of every fruit of every tree in that garden. You can have a good life. But there's one tree that you should not eat from. And that is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this is what we find just from these few scriptures here. We find two principles. God creates, man occupies. God creates, man occupies. God created the garden, man occupied the garden. The garden was not man's, but it was the Lord's garden. But the man was to manage the garden. The second principle we see here is this. God makes the rules, man follows. God makes the rules, man follows. I'll be honest, I am not a rule uh, a rule follower. I hate rules. I love to break rules. And But all I know is this, is that in my life, uh, most of the time, if I break the rules, there's consequences. And God makes the rules. I am not the rule maker. I should follow the rules. And the Bible says that if man decided to make his own rules, if God, if man, if, if man decided he didn't like God's rules, he had his own rules, he wanted to go by his own rules, then God says there was dire consequences, and the consequences was this, that there, there was death. These two facts of life have not changed since the creation of the world. God creates, man occupies. God makes the rules, man follows the rules. So there was man in the middle of the garden, but then God was not finished because man was a little lonely, and along came a woman. It's amazing how things just change dramatically when it's just men, and then you add a woman into the mix. Now, I'm going to be honest with you today. I think women, they get a bad rap for what what we're going to see and what we're going to read. Everyone blames the woman for what's going to happen but we're going to see the guy was right next to her. The guy just, you know, didn't have enough guts to speak up when the woman spoke up. So this is basically what happens. So God then created a woman. And then it says in Genesis 3 verse 1, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat, God said. You must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give to her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. So, 
They're in the middle of the garden. They're managing the garden. Their role is they are a manager. They are not the owner. They are a manager. They, they have access to the entire garden. But then a serpent comes along and says, hey, how about that one tree over there? Did God really say that you can't eat that? And the woman says, yeah, the, God says, if we eat that, then, then we will die. And the serpent tricked her and the serpent lied to her. And he says that, that basically God is not after your best interest. He does not want you to become like him, which is a complete lie because the Bible says that he created man in, in his image. We are in the image of God. So he is lying to the woman. And that's exactly what the enemy and the devil will do to you. He will try to lie to you to tell you that God doesn't want the best for you, that that. that God doesn't want, uh, isn't in, in your interest, that God is only after his own interest. And that's what the enemy will say to you. And it is a complete lie. And that's what the serpent said to the woman. And so the Bible says, so the woman look at, looked at the fruits, saw it was delicious, and she took a bite. And then she gave some to her husband, who was with her at the time. And this is what I mean. The woman gets a bad rap, right? Because everyone says, oh, it was the woman who ate ate the fruit. But the guy was standing right next to her. It's just he didn't talk and she talked. It's like my marriage. If we meet a stranger, my my wife is the one doing the talking. I'm not talking. That's just the way it is. She was a talker. He wasn't. But he was right there. He was right there next to her. And he allowed her to eat. And then he ate. And then they felt their shame and their nakedness. See, the woman was deceived. For suddenly she didn't like God's rules anymore. She wanted what was God's, so she ate the fruit. And this is what we see. This is why she ate of the fruit. She listened to the wrong voices. She listened to the wrong voices. Instead of listening to God, who had her best interests, she listened to the serpent who tried to deceive her. And in your life, maybe you're listening to the wrong voices. Maybe you're listening to the wrong commercials or the wrong TV stations or the wrong friends who are telling you, you need this, you need that, you need this. This woman, she thought because something was good, she deserved it. She saw the fruit, she saw, and it looked delicious and it looked good. But just because something looks good, it doesn't mean it is good for you. We see that this woman, she took on the role as an owner of the garden. The rules were not to eat of that fruit. But instead of being a manager, she decided, well, I I live in this garden. This garden's mine. I can take whatever I want. See, she forgot that her role was to manage and not take. And when you are a manager, you realize God's is God's. And you don't take from God's what is God's. And then finally, she suffered the consequences. And you just... Read the rest of Genesis chapter 3 to find out the consequences. For you ladies who have ever given birth to a child, it wasn't easy, was it? That's because of this woman right here. You guys, you get up tomorrow morning and you really just don't want to go to work. It's because of what happened here. These are some of the consequences of what happened. Now, imagine for a moment when the woman heard the serpent the voice of the serpent, if she had stopped for a moment and she had said, hold on, let me find my identity in God. Who am I in God? 
Oh, I am the manager. I'm not the owner. That does not belong to me. I am just going to take what belongs to, to me, what God has entrusted to me. If she had found her identity in God, sin would have never come into the world. They would have never died, and we would have been perfect people. Sounds like a great idea, right? I mean, you think that husband or wife of yours, they would have been perfect. Those things that bug you about them, they would have vanished if she had never eaten of the fruit. Those kids of yours, they would be perfect kids. Don't we all want perfect kids? That's all as a result of what happens here. See, this is the problem. When we spend a dollar twenty-five for every dollar we earn, it's because we are identifying ourselves as owners of what we have and not managers of what we have. And just like this woman, we try to take what is out of reach because we believe we will be better off for it. And this is what happens when we consider ourselves as owners of all that we have, we become entitled and we hold on to things a little too tightly. Now listen to what Psalm 24 verses 1 and 2 said. It says, The earth is the Lord's, And everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. For he laid the earth's foundation on the seas and built it on the ocean's depths. Did you see what it says there? It says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all the people, that includes you, belong to him. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that you are not your own. You have been brought with a price. That means you are not the owner. All that you have, you are not the owner. Your house, your kids, your, your job, your, your money, your, your, the car you drive, uh, your, your career, your, your aspirations, your desires, your future. It is not yours. It is the Lord's. And he has given it to you to manage but not own. Now, there's a, there's a, a word in the Bible that you, you will come across from time to time. And it's a word called steward. And, and, and in church circles, we, we use the word stewardship. And what the word steward means, it basically means this, to be a household manager. So going back like years and centuries ago, any wealthy home had different servants who worked in the home. But there was always one person who was the steward of the home. They were the household manager. And what their role was, was the, to, to basically manage the household on behalf of the owner. And if the owner went away, then they would manage everything and, and, and they would be over the whole household. It was a high position. And they had free reign of the home, but they were not the owner of the home. They respected the owner, and they worked for the owner, and in return, the owner would give them a good life. They would have all the food they need. They would have the clothes they need. They would have the shelter they need. And they had a good life, but they were not the owner. Now, when I was a a young kid, I would go to friends' houses from time to time. And I would look at my friends and they would just go into the pantry or go into the fridge or go into a cupboard and they would just take out and eat whatever they wanted. Like they would go and get like candy and chocolate and stuff. They were like, you want some? I'm like, yeah, this is great. And they would just go and take. See, it was 
I found it amazing because in my house, this was a no-no. You were not allowed. My mother says, you will not take unless you ask first. And so if ever I wanted a snack or anything, then I would have to ask my mother first to, before I took it because it wasn't mine. It was my mom's. Even though I lived in the house, I realized that's my mom's. Then there would be times and times as I got older that my parents would go away, whether on vacation or on business trips. And my mother, would, before she left, she would tell me, she would take me to the refrigerator and take me to the freezer. She says, okay, well, we're away. You can have this, this, and this, but do not touch this. And so I knew what we, what we should have, what we shouldn't have. And then she would say to me, while we're away, you need to water my flowers. You need to keep the house clean. You need to take out the trash and no parties at all, right? I disobeyed her a couple of times on that one. But anyway, but we cleaned the house anyway. And then she would, she would give me some money. And this will take some of you back a few years. But she would give me the money and she would say, okay, with this money, she says, if you need to buy any groceries, go get the groceries. And she says, but also with this money, you need to pay the milkman. Because we had a milkman who would come and deliver milk and then we would have to pay him. And so I would take the money and I would think I was rich on day one. But after paying the milkman and getting the groceries, I realized, man, my mom wasn't that generous after all. She's not like God. God is way more generous than my mother. But, uh, but, but we would pay the milkman, but then the rest would be mine. And that is exactly how God works in our lives. He has given us all we have. Not, nothing that we have belongs to us. They are the Lord's. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. But we are stewards of the gifts that God has given them, and we are to use them as he wishes, and in turn, God gives us a good life. There's a parable in the Bible, a story that Jesus told, and as we close, we'll close with this story, and it's found in Matthew chapter 25. And this is what Jesus said in Matthew 25, starting reading at verse 14. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and he earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they used his money. The servants whom he had entrusted five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. 
The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now you will have many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant, if you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you just deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have got some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. And they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we've got this story here of a, of, of a, of a master of a guy who goes away on a trip. He gives money to three of his servants. Two of his servants, they invest the money and they get an investment back. The third servant, the Bible says he was afraid. He was afraid of what he had and he didn't want to lose it. So he buried it. And then when the master came back, he just gave him the money back. Two of them, they became faithful servants. One of them got fired. The one who buried the money got fired. And this is what we, we, we see with this story. I really find this story and I read it and I get scared to death of this story. I'm frightened of this story and I tell you why. My sin does not frighten me because God's grace covers my sin. But when I think of all the good things God has given me, my family, my friends, the money God has given me, the house God has given me, the the leadership God has given me, the church God has given me, the influence God has given me, the opportunities God has given me. I, I get scared because sometimes I wonder, am I using them as God would have me use it? Am I being a good steward of what God has given me? And out of this parable, I want to pick out just two facts what I see. There's so much in this parable that we could talk about, but there's two facts I want to pick out. And the first one is this. Heaven's stock market never drops. For those of you who you've got investments, you've got retirements, there are some people, they, they check them every day. I don't know why they do that, because you become miserable every day, because half the time it looks like you're losing money. But eventually the stock market will come back up. But heaven's stock market, never drops. So that means if you invest in heaven, you will always yield a return. And that is what happened with with, with these two guys, these two servants. They invested the money and they yielded a return and they were better off for investing. And I tell you today, with the stuff God has given you, The good gifts God has given you, if you use them for the kingdom of heaven, remember, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like this. If you use them for the kingdom of heaven, you will always yield a return. You will always be better off for investing in heaven. The second thing that we see here, faithful servants are always trusted with more. 
If God can trust you with a little, you always find that God will give you more. And so the little that you have or the much you have, can God trust you with what he has given you? See, this story almost seems a little harsh on the reader, to the reader, on the one who didn't do anything. Kind of sometimes feel sorry for the guy who just buried the money in the ground because he was just afraid. He didn't want to come back. He didn't want to lose the money for the master. And I've always wondered, why was he so harsh on him? But reading between the lines, you start to understand that the unfaithful servant, he treated the money like it was his own instead of treating it like it was the master's. See, he took on the role of an owner instead of the role of a manager. See, if he understood that he was to manage this money for the master, he would have understood that the the master would have wanted him to invest the money, not hold on to the money. But because... He took on the role of of an owner and he started to treat the money like it was his own. That's why he buried the money in the grounds. And a steward always treats what has been entrusted to them just the same as how an owner would treat them. The unfaithful servant took matters into his own hands. This is not what the the master would have done. Now, let me ask you today, what do you think God would do with the gifts that God has given you? With the possessions that God has given you, or the family God has given you, or the blessings God has given you, or the influence, or the leadership God has given you, or the money God has given you. If God was to use it, how would God use it? Are you being a faithful steward of what God has given you? Or are you using it as you would have you use it? See, the unfaithful servant didn't understand that he was given this, these gifts to use them as the master would use them. So about two years ago, we had a little bundle of joy who came into our world. His name was Evan. And at the time, uh, myself and, and my wife, we were working and my wife was working in the uh, school system at the time, in Baltimore City School System. And for those of you who know the school system, is you get great health benefits. Like, they're amazing health benefits. My health benefits were terrible. Hers were great. But as Evan was born, our plan was she was going to go back to work and we were going to put him in daycare. And we had some childcare lined up, great childcare, and we got a great deal and somebody we felt really comfortable with. What about a week before... Raquel was going to go back to school. We found out just through a mistake that Evan's place in this daycare had been taken and there was no room for him. And so suddenly we start panicking and we're looking at other daycares and they're so expensive and they're kind of out of our reach. And we're like, what are we going to do? Well, all through the pregnancy, Raquel had felt the Lord just lead her to say, you know, I really should be staying at home with this boy. You know, there's nothing wrong in going to work, and, and I applaud anybody who, who, who goes to work to help, to, you know, when, when, you're, when you're bringing up children. And, and our intention was to put him in daycare, but Raquel just felt that the Lord was saying, you know, this child, she wants, she's to stay home with this child. I'll be honest, I didn't feel it as much, you know, as what she did. But often ladies have a little bit more intuition than what we do. 
And so as we started praying and we came to this, this, we came to this place where we, he could not be in daycare, we suddenly realized we thought God was forcing our hands. And as we started praying about it, I felt compelled in my heart that we were going to go down to one income, from two incomes to one income. But I felt compelled in my heart, God saying, you need to trust me in this because I'm going to take care of you. And so I made the decision that we were going to up our giving. We were going to up our tithes, up our offerings, and we upped our giving. So we went down from two salaries to one salary. And now our giving was going up. We were losing our, our great health care. We had to go and purchase more health care. And so it just didn't make sense at all. But we felt this was the right thing. We felt God was going to take care of us. Two years later, still on that one income, still got some different revenue streams, but ultimately one income. We now are bringing in about 35% more than what we did with two incomes. Now, some people may say that's a coincidence, but I honestly believe this. God said, trust me in this. We decided that we were going to show God our, tr- our trust in him by giving him more. And you know what happened in return? God has given us a good life. Because we've realized that we're not the owners of what we have. Even Evan, we love him to bits and he's ours, but we're not the owner. God's the owner. We're just the managers. And if we manage what God has given us well, then God will give us more. So I ask you today, what is the point of giving? The point of giving is this, is that the master wants you to use what he has given to you for his purposes. We give our time, our money, our efforts, our skills, and even our life, because that is exactly what the master would do. That is what Jesus would do. And if you understand your role as a manager, then God will make sure that you are taken care of. See, God has a good life for you just like he did for Adam and Eve. But it kind of went downhill from them because they decided to become owners, not managers. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over, poured into your lap, The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. This is what I honestly believe. If you say God is the owner, I'm the manager, all that I have is his. It's not mine. God has just given it to me to manage. I believe God will give you a good life. As some of you here in this place today, You are giving 10%. You are tithing. But you're still not being a faithful steward because you're still treating the other 90% like it's yours. But the reality is this, is that all of it is God's. And if you're misusing your money and you're spending $1.25 for every dollar that you, you earn, then you're not being a faithful steward of what God has given you because the master wouldn't do that. God wouldn't do that. And so we need to come to a place where we understand 100% is God's. We use what God has given us for his purposes, and in return, God gives us a good life. Let's bow our heads in prayer.